Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. You know, perspective does alter performance and perspective is built on, you know, your, your training and, and, and all of the mechanisms, but everybody gets the same training and perspective is different in the ones that are special. They, they like to view things totally different. You know, what's the, you know, what is the quote, uh, Latin, Amare Fonte, love what you do, love what you see, love what happens. Just love what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and the special ones, they just, they did, man. They, they love whatever happens. Somebody blocks them. That's a kid that's going to set me again. Set me again. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D R R O B B E L L, to this number. Three three four four four. You'll get a download right away. Are you one of nearly seven in ten Americans who doesn't feel fully rested when the alarm clock rings? Do you dread your mornings? Let's change that. Psalm Sleep is a drug-free, non-habit-forming sleep drink in a small can that can help save your nights from tossing and turning. Find out for yourself at getsom.com and stop dreading your alarm. Some sleep. It gives you Z's. So our guest today uh, is one of my favorite coaches. I love watching him practice and uh, and coach and teach, and I uh, consider him a friend. He's a co-director, owner, Munciana Volleyball, six national championships with his uh, Munciana Samurai teams, and they've placed in the top three in the nation every year since 2004. In the high school arena, he led Wapahani High School with three state championships. He's been awarded state coach of the year three times. At the collegiate level, our guest, three-time Conference USA Metro Conference Coach of the Year, over 200 victories. He's also the recipient of the prestigious Don Shondell Lifetime Achievement Award, as well as the ABCA's 18s Coach of the Year. Our guest today, I'm really excited for this. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. It's Coach Mike Lingenfelter. Coach, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Tell you what, man, I was jacked up when you uh, you asked me to be on. So the pleasure is mine, Rob. Always. I, f- I felt at first, well, I, I got to go nationally, right? Like I got to get you know a bunch of it. And then I was just thinking, I was like, wait a minute, I haven't even uh, interviewed you know one of the best coaches in the area, man. So like a prophet is not as prophet in his hometown. So I'm finally glad we got to do this. And thank right. you for the patience and let me get to you, man. Uh-huh. Coach, yeah. I got to st- I got to start with this, right? So if every podcast we have to have a little we got to promote it. So we have to have like the media image that's out there. Right. And I always ask somebody, Hey, send me a headshot. Now I'm, I'm curious, and this is where I'm asking for permission or your blessing, but is it possible for us to use that 1990 Memphis state media guide picture of you there? I mean, again, they can't see it. Right. But I mean, it's tight, man. You got the frosted hair, right? The curly locks, the tight shorts. I'm sporting the mod squad fro. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, all. That look, that looks coming back. 
the short shorts. Oh man, yeah. it's tight, man. It looks good. Always on my research, coach. I came across it. I love that one, man. Well, that's a terrifying photo. Uh, that thing continues to haunt me. I didn't believe in ghosts until that photo crept back in my life. So I'm haunted. I love it, man. So let me let me address that, right? In this short amount of time from 1990 to now, I mean, is there something that stands out in terms of like coaching and growth that maybe took a 180 for you that, hey, you thought this was like this, but it didn't really turn out to be so? Has there been a 180? Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh... I'll be honest, Rob, I'm a better coach than I was the last time you and I spoke. Um, but I think that my coaching has grown as I've grown as a man. Um, you know, it, I told somebody the other day when I first started, and I never will forget it. I remember a news crew came in at, at the University of Cincinnati and they did a piece. And at the end of the piece, you know, they showed it and and I'm coaching and, and, and I'm reacting. You know, they showed me on the sidelines and I'm I'm frustrated with the call and and the, uh, the, the sportscaster was handing it back off to the news director and at the end of the 11 o'clock news in Cincinnati. And he said, uh, fire a young man, bright future. And uh, he said, he's tough. And the news director said, a lot of Bobby Knight in that guy. And I took great pride in it. I thought, yeah, that's who I am. And I told somebody that in the last five years, probably, um, I've gone from Bobby Knight to John Wooden, and it's not because I've gotten older. It's it's really because I, I've come to peace with myself. Uh, I'm not so result-laden as much as I am uh, standard-laden or process-laden. Uh, I play, you know, I play to a process now. My happiness doesn't necessarily evolve and revolve around winning. It really revolves around whether or not my kids have learned and played to the level that I expect them to play, or more importantly, the level they expect to play at. That's really my job is to be able to teach them to get to where they belong or where they believe they belong. And I've evolved into that guy. And subsequently I have a lot, a, a much greater peace of mind than I ever had prior. Now, there's an opponent of mine that all I ever do is beating. And I hate it. There's times where I almost feel bad for beat, for winning against him every big match. But I, I look back on it and it's because he's so wrapped up in winning that he can't help but lose. And for me, I'm so wrapped up in playing to a specific standard. You know, in my world, Rob, the worst thing that can happen is to play really poorly and win. Mm -hmm. That destroys me because it destroy, it starts to erode my, my standard. Because people start to believe, well, we, we don't need to play the standard. We can win regardless. And that's my biggest fear as a coach. Winning and losing no longer drives me or scares me. Uh, it's a measuring tool. It's a measuring tool but for a lot of other people. But it's not uh, the principal piece of my happiness. And, and I hope that answers what you're asking. And we hear a lot about the process focusing on this point, the, yeah. the standard. What is the standard and the process that you find to be most important? You know, work ethic is is a large part of my standard. You know, I we live in a, a society that doesn't necessarily embrace hard work anymore. You know, I'm I'm constantly that guy preaching. You know, become comfortable being uncomfortable. 
uh, what, you know, the great successes in life lie on the other side of heart. You're never going to find them in this place you're at right now. And so work ethic is, is massive for me. Uh, people becoming the best version of themselves. You know, one of the places where I, I think I'm questioned, I don't believe that selfish is bad. You know, you always saw that there's no I in team. Well, from a spelling standpoint, no. But from a, a playing and coaching standpoint, yes. You know, selfish. Am I selfish, Rob, if I want to be an All-American or if I want to be All-Tournament or I want to be the best player of all times? I don't know if that's selfish. I, I, I think I think those are goals, objectives, visions. Self-centered is the damaging portion of this thing where my, my dreams, my wishes, my uh, plans are trumping what the goal of the team is ultimately. So as a coach, my standard is for each individual to reach their maximum potential, for each individual by the end of the season to be able to move to the next level and have the same success. So let's say I have a sophomore in high school that's committed to play at, let's say, Alabama. Well, at the end of that season, I anticipate that she should be able to start at Alabama the next year. When you'd look, go, well, she's only going to be a junior in high school. No, no, no. She elected to escalate up to play the highest level, 18s. My goal is that. And so that's what they chase. And my whole sole job is to tie it together. So the standard is these guys playing to the their apex or playing to their dreams. You know, I, I think that we've got to, you know, when we train guys, you know, we oftentimes train to their talent. I think that we need to train to their hearts, get to know them, but more importantly, train to their dreams. You know, if I can harness your dream, Rob, you're probably going to be more bought in than if you're plan if I'm trying to make you love my dream. And I create, I want to create ownership and our, our standard is about maximizing individual potential i'm in charge of maximizing us and if you listen and practice you'll hear me say a better you is a better us mm -hmm. and, and that's undeniable so that's the standard i refer to you know, there are certain things we're going to handle the ball we're not gonna it's not going to always be about what we do it's going to be about what we don't do which is in lines of disciplinary mistakes uh, ball control issues taking care of the ball unforced errors you know, that's the things that I really want to focus on. I don't really need human highlight reels. And so the standard is incredibly important to me. There are matches that, that we've won that we haven't been close to my standard. You know, a standard for us, for instance, we want to reach 10 before you do. I want you, I want to force your first time out before I call it. I want to reach 20 before you. I want to force you to take your second time out before we do. And then the last five points, I don't want to be perfect. I just don't want to make unforced errors. I want to be clean after 20, tough after 20. Tough after 20. Yeah, we call it our high five. And that is the standard we live by. And and so yeah, I may win. And let's say that I call my first time out at six, they get to 10 first. I call my first time out, at, my second time out at 15, they get to 21st. We're sloppy as heck, but the thing that benefits us is they are more sloppy and I get out of town with the 25-23 win. You know, it's a win. 
But did we do what we set out to do? And I will tell you, if we don't reach any of those five, probably, Rob, our kids aren't either. They're not reaching their standard of playing to their apex or to their potential or more importantly, to their dream. And that's kind of the standard in a nutshell. And it's built every day in practice. I don't rail kids. Uh, I let them know that, you know, this practice is about their dreams, you know, and your practice uh, effort, decorum needs to reflect your dream or you change your dream. I'm cool either way. But this is the dream you told me and this is the effort it's going to take. And if they don't match up, then we got to change one or the other. Keep your dream, raise your effort. Keep the low effort, just lower your dream. And, and that's it because it's yours, not mine. I'll still tie them all together, but success won't be as high. Yeah. Coach, um, you know, I have to change my notes here because that was a big part that I had. And volleyball, you always sp spoke about the race to 10 wins 83% yeah. of the time yeah. and then tough after 20. Um, how do, let me, let me change that real quick because I'm going to, I'm going to throw a curveball into this. You feel that the mindset of defense and defenders never ask was, was that my ball? Can you talk about that and, and, you know, combine it into your whole coaching, but how is that mindset of defense and how do you orchestrate that and massage that into somebody's own, you know, ownership and, and development? Well, well, first and foremost, you, you gave me PTSDs when you threw, you were going to throw me a curveball. I think, that uh, off-speed pitches and curveballs derailed my baseball career faster than anything else. We're just hitting off, the, we're hitting off the tee here, Coach. Straight no off problem, babe. Now, you know, I think that defense is about ownership. I think that, uh, and as I alluded to, owning you. You know, I think all too often we set parameters, individual parameters. You know, guys will look and go, is this my territory? Well, you know, actually in a volleyball court, there's 900 square feet. So you're, you got all that. You got opportunity of bounds. Every ball could be yours if you're that good. And so I don't want people to be locked into one specific area, one specific skill set. I want people to free range and, and be able to expand themselves. I, there's enough in life, Rob, I believe, that limits people. And I believe that if I put a ceiling or a barrier and tell a kid that, you know, okay, well, let's do the simple math, 900 square feet. There's six guys on the court, but two are blocking. So I've got four. So now it breaks down to 225 square feet per athlete. And okay. I look at the little girl and go, that's actually 15 by 15 area. I chalk it out. This is your area. But what if that little girl can do 20 by 20? You know, I'm hindering her growth by boxing her into a 15 by 15 square. So was that my ball? Well, they're, your, they're all your ball. They're all your ball. If you're capable of going and getting the ball, go get the ball. My job isn't to limit you. My job is to grow you. And I think we limit guys. I think it's important to show parameters, show the disciplined area of where you start. But it is not my job to show you where to finish. That's your job. You write the chapter. Uh, you know, I'm anxious to read it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coach, you've once said, you know, if you're not talking, you're being selfish. With communication that I see, how communication has changed even in the last 10 years, 
How do you facilitate that in your practice and having them communicate? Well, well think about it. Uh, the phones have hindered us greatly. Right. You know, a lot of times if you talk to your children, they'll say, yeah, I talked to them yesterday. Well, they actually texted. Yeah, exactly. There's a misnomer. I, I think that texting is a, is a misapplication of communication. It's, 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 it's mythical. It's not communication. Uh, texting is not talking. Talking is inherent. You know, if you're talking on the court, it's a sign of ease. It's a sign of comfort. It's a sign of well-trained for the most part. I mean, you can fake it for a little bit, but once the fire gets warm, you guys will shut down. I think that when I said it was, it's, it's selfish or, or self-centered in the sense, I think that when you don't talk, it's either one of three reasons. One, you're not good enough to be on the floor. You're just not talented enough to be out there because you are so afraid and so busy processing all of the things that are occurring around you that you can't construct verbiage. Uh, I think that uh, that goes into training. I think that secondly, you may be that kid that is only consumed with um, their performance that they, they forget, you know, if, uh, if, the per, there's a perfect pass, a perfect set, and you hit a ball out of bounds. There's something to be garnered from that. You know, even if I hit the ball out of bounds, I got to turn and look at guys going, man, that was a great set. How about you? Beautiful pass. But no, we just locked down because all I'm focused on, once again, is the result. The process is in play. But I'm going to be focused only on results, and I'm going to live and die by results. That's kind of a reactive lifestyle. I'd rather be proactive and make sure I look at the things that work for us. And then it, lastly, you know, we, we live in a time of extreme mental health. It's one of the things that the reason I want kids to communicate, obviously, is to grow leaders, to expand our court awareness. But the other thing is, it's, it's almost like uh, opening the window. We got to let some of that stuff out. Because it's amazing how many kids that I coach are really not nice to themselves. Some of the things these kids say to themselves, if any coach said, they'd be fired by nightfall. These kids are, are verbally haranguing themselves. And I think by talking, it allows you to release a little bit. You know, I was telling somebody yesterday, they said, why do you work out so much? They said, you know, at this age. You know, everybody believes that my workout program is about maximizing my physical strength. Uh, it's minimizing my mental stress. I got to take that down. And so I've got to find a way to express myself so that I can eliminate or, or let the, some air out of the balloon. I think these kids, if we can teach them to talk, it's literally letting a little air out of the balloon. They're conversing. They're no longer, if they're talking to their teammates, they're not beating themselves down. Right. And so those are the elements of talk that I think that we need to go with. You know, the old school talk, you know, direct, uh, inform. Yeah, those are real. And the kids that can do that are really, they're ready to go. If you can talk, if you go to a party and you stand behind the fig tree the whole time and hide, you're not very comfortable. It's like a, it's like a middle school dance, Rob. If you remember middle school dances, boys against this wall, Girls against this wall, music blaring, and everybody looking at each other. You know, and all of a sudden, somebody popped off the wall, and you're going, Dang, that dude's got some confidence. And all heck starts to break loose. Everybody starts to mingle in. Someone's got to have confidence. 
I think that someone's got to talk because if you're not talking at the party, you're not comfortable. Yeah. You know, the funny thing, Coach, is that was usually me and I usually got shot down. But but I wanted the shot. I would take the shot. And yeah, every, everyone, everyone else would come behind me no, and make it work. That's it. Coach, what about um, what about the special players? You know, those that, that have the whole package, you know, in terms of physical, but they have the mental ability. And I know you've seen so many of them that have come through your program and there's not one size fit all. But what have you noticed about these special players? Obsession. The, the special ones are, they're obsessed with being better than they were yesterday. Every day is a new conquest. It's, it's really interesting. It's like the, the really special ones are capable of, uh, of understanding that it's it's a windshield life you know they, they don't have they they're the type of kids that get rid of the rear view mirror they throw the rear view mirror out and they focus only on the windshield and they know that it's not about what's occurred behind them it's where they're going they train for where they're going not for where they've been and i think the really special ones have that uh, the other thing i think the really special ones have i think they've crafted the the art of the lonely practice um, they're capable of going in the gym all by themselves and, and training until they're worn out. They can do things all alone and will do things all alone that the others won't even think about. You know, I, I've had I've had sisters where one will be here and I'll ask, well, where's so-and-so? And they'll look, no, she's sleeping. Um, there's a gentleman up in Canada that always talked to me. One of his daughters is an Olympian. They're both tremendous athletes. Both were great college players. But the one it evolved into a much higher level. And I said, what was the difference? He said, she made me go to the gym with her every day. Made me. The other, I made go to the gym with me mm -hmm. every day. And when I wouldn't go to the gym with the one, she went without me. That kind of obsession and understanding that it's all about training for where they're going the really special ones. And you're right. I've been blessed. I, I think that probably maybe, maybe more than anybody in the game of volleyball at this level, I've had kids that um, have turned out to be insanely special. And the ones that are insanely special weren't different physically. They were differently wired. And it was an obsession, not an opportunity for them. Hey, they're good looking. If you're digging this podcast then you're going to love our brand new book, Puke and Rally. It's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. Check it out wherever books are sold. And now back to the show. You go, coach. A lot of times we'll have, because I, I totally agree with that obsession piece. And when people ask, I, I really say the same exact thing. And when it comes to like, you know, the balance of that, I said, well, there's not a real balance of it. You know, just like there's no work-life balance. I mean, you're all in or you're in the way. I said, it's being able to, you know, because again, at the bottom line, right, it has to be fun, but it's that process of wanting to get better and being obsessed with that getting better. I mean, when, when Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have a whole practice, right, on just stepping back, yep. and that's the whole practice. And it's like, wait a minute, you've done that thousands and thousands of time and you're watching film on that. I mean, that's an obsession piece, right? Yeah, they never get bored with the basics. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Uh, the really good guys, just uh, the things that we used to work on, the basics become their warm up, but it's an everyday thing. It's like breathing. 
you know, the basics are like breathing to those guys. And I, I would, I come in sometimes and watch kids do their things on their own. And it, it's really gratifying for me because I, I, I see them doing the things that I harp on or when a kid will send you a passage and uh, said, this reminded me of you, you know, it's gratifying because I know they listen, but I also know now that it's, it's locked in. I think one of the things that's really important, Rob, as a coach, and I, I looked at my outside and we were great last year. We were the best team in the country. You know, we phenomenal, phenomenal team from day one to the end. Greatest coaching experience in my life from a teaching standpoint. I told them they were great students and it allowed me to be a great teacher. I didn't call them players because they were constantly hungry to learn. But the thing that's, that's really interesting when you start to look at uh, really, really special players and and how they go about it, is there an insatiable quest for, for improvement? Uh, they demand it and they want to be better. And so one day I looked at my kids and my left side, I said, gosh, I said, you guys cannot block a ball out there. We're, we're, we're not getting it done. We can't block a ball. And in almost a mid-sentence, I caught myself and I looked and I said, and that's on me. That's on me. They said, no, Mike, we've worked on it. I said, no. Nah. I said, if you haven't learned it, then I haven't taught it. All I've done is talk. But if you haven't learned it, if you can't do it, then obviously I failed as a teacher. And I said, I'll give you my best the rest of the way. You know, we're, we're, I've got to be a better teacher. And I think that so often those guys that are great, they want to learn so much and they force you into a position that you have to teach more, but you start to learn that if it's not taught until it's learned and the really great ones, the really great ones going all the way back to how we started, Rob, the really great ones don't go up and block a ball and realize and think I've got it. The really great ones get to the point where they want to block every ball. As you once told me, you know, it's it's not about getting it, you know, getting to the point where you can do it right. It's about the point where you, you can't do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's that's teaching. The great ones understand that they are not result oriented. They want to get the standard down. You know, if I teach you, I show you a picture of a cat and you don't know how to read. and I hold up three letters. You may guess cat. But if I don't have a picture and I hold up three letters and it's dog. And you just can't spell it. You know, the one that had the picture, that guy celebrates success. I can read. They can't. They can't. I, I put dog out there, same guy. Can't read it. No. Results, process. And I think the great ones absolutely are, they're obsessed with process. Obsessed with it. And I think that's that's probably the answer to those guys, the great yeah. ones. God. I think that's fascinating about the athletes that will practice on their own, right? Because that's my son, coach, when it comes to golf. I mean, I, I can take him there and be like, look, I can't do it this week, buddy. And and he'll he'll just ask mom to take him, right? And he'll just go and just drop him off and he's there. But that's like how he, he just loves to do it. He loves the, the process of getting better. It, it, um, it's hard to slow the internal drive. Those guys yeah. are internally driven. Those are special beasts. Boy, I, I probably learned this one from you, Coach, right? Like, you can slow down a racehorse easier than you can speed up a turtle. Yes. Yes. You know, and 
And I tell you, it's it, those guys that have that thoroughbred mentality, man. You know, I'm, and I think that all too often the world tries to bridle those guys. You know, we live in a world that really celebrates, well, for the most part, mediocrity, yeah. celebrate bringing the bottom to the middle and the top to the middle, and that's a great success. I, I fear that we're really hindering the growth of the ones that are really internally driven. And, I, and we got to be aware of that. And as a coach, I am acutely aware of it. And, and I'm trying to create it, or at least an awareness that it's okay to be different. It's okay to want to go. You know, I was talking to a little girl the other day, and somebody said, well, you, you really want to do this. Uh, you're going to give up all your weekends. Uh, that's when we have fun. She said, this is fun. Yeah. Uh, the Julian Edelman article, I don't know if you read it, and I can't remember, maybe Cassius Winston had gotten frustrated with the Patriots' way and he had just been brought in as an in rusher and got frustrated and made the comment that this just isn't any fun. And Adelman marched up to the whiteboard and wrote, winning is fun. Mm-hmm. And then walked away. Different animal. Yeah. Not, not, not one's good, one's bad, just different. Right. I always like, when you're talking about that, I always say, you know, in terms of like secretariat, you, you'd never, you'd never put a plow in secretariat, right? No. no. You can oh. borrow that one too, coach, if you want. Secretary, I got, I got a couple. I grew, I grew up in horse country. I'm a Lexington boy. Remember? Oh yeah, I know, man. That's why I'm bringing it out, coach. <laughs> you know, in terms of like identity, like Secretariat, when Secretariat ran last race up in Canada, and then did a little exhibition, right? Ran just around I the track, that. and then went right to the winner's circle. Yeah, and I find that remarkable. Even animals have that sense. You know, the, the ones are special. They're wired differently and, and they have different expectations. And, you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day that, you know, perspective does alter performance and perspective is built on, you know, your, your training and, and, and all of the mechanisms, but everybody gets the same training and perspective is different in the ones that are special. They, they like to view things totally different. You know, uh, What's the, you know, what is the quote, uh, Latin, Amare Fonte? Love what you do. Love what you see. Love what happens. Just love what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and the special ones, they just, they did, man. They, they love whatever happens. Somebody blocks them. That's a kid that's going to set me again. Set me again. They get aced, serve me again. But uh, I think that that's the way I would approach it. You know, the really good ones do. That's how I approach coaching. You know, something bad happens. Well, I've got to expect that bad's going to happen. Otherwise, I'm going to be in shock and let my team down. But I've got to love. i got to embrace what happens. You know, a uh, kid goes down, I've got to embrace it. I've got to embrace it. But otherwise, I'm wasting time. Mm-hmm. So. Coach, you know, in, in terms of like long-term development, I mean, you have your fast cookers, but then you have those slow risers. Yeah. What about the slow risers? What is it that that they need to do or to have, um, you know, to really focus on that long term development? You know, well, you got to have stick to itness uh, first and foremost. So perseverance is a lost art, and you know the the slow the slow uh, bakers or the guys that come up a little behind everybody else. I think are hindered by a couple things. Most of the times, it is the old school paralysis by analysis. They tend to overprocess, and not until they get to the point where they can release that and just go 
did they did they grow? Uh, I, you know, I think that for guys to become really successful, especially when they leave me, they've got to learn two things. They got to learn how to self evaluate and self motivate. Uh, the slow guy, the guys that are slow to develop, um, sometimes have the ability to self motivate, but you can't motivate unless you can self evaluate. Meaning, I got to know exactly where I'm at today to get somewhere tomorrow. And so the, those guys tend to be, you know, stuck and their process is a little bit chinked. I think that's one. I think the other, you know, to be really honest is kids have got to learn who they are. They've got to learn to be comfortable with who they are before they can really explode. Uh, some, their talent just allows them to do so. Others have to evolve in different areas to become great players. I've had a lot of kids that were, you know, you just had to wait, but you knew it was there. And it's a self-belief mechanism where, you know, not until these guys can believe in themselves, not neither can the world. And I think that sometimes that process, you know, we got a little girl right now, I watch her every night. And I, I really believe if she wasn't constantly self-evaluating in such a horrible way, she's such a negative self-evaluator. She sees only the negative. I, I see only the positive. You know, I asked a little girl last night, I need you to hit these three shots. That shot, even though it's your favorite shot, is never successful. These three shots are next level shots. First three times she hit it, she hit one right into the block, one out of bounds by 20 feet. The third was the worst shot I'd ever seen. And I walked out to her, I said, I love it. I love what you just did. You just scored more points with me than you ever have because you are insanely coachable, babe. You attacks fear. Fear, I think, is the, is the element there that really retards the growth of a lot of those quote-unquote slow developers. And she wasn't afraid. She tried what I said, but I actively told her that was a great success. Even though she had failed three times miserably, uh, it was a success because what I asked you to do was try it. I didn't ask you to be successful. And later in the night, she hit the, the same shot three times perfectly. You know, I think that we don't do a good job, Rob, and you know it as well as I do. Everybody is quick to critique. Think about what we're asking. You ask, uh, you know, we ask somebody to shoot a three-pointer. You know, you know, get out there and shoot. But we anticipate and expect him to make the three-pointer. If you expect him to make the three-pointer, then, then tell him, make the three-pointer. Let's be a little more precise on what we're asking. But the thing is, for me, if I ask you to try, and I've got to be very understanding of failure. You know, the guys that are really successful are the ones that can embrace failure. Maybe more so as a coach than a player. Because coaches will will say that they're okay with failure. And then in the games, they go crazy. Because, going back to the start again, the result, guys. I ask you to, I want you to jump serve. Every ball, every ball, Rob. I, will, I want you to jump serve as tough as you can serve. Knowing that at some point in your career, you nail this down, you're going to make some money. We get in a match, you jump serve two balls in the net, and all of a sudden, my team is behind, and I'm screaming at you. I'm screaming at you because... We're going to lose. Whereas I should be embracing you for doing exactly what I said. Keep going. You know, we will fail forward. Ultimately, we will fail forward. But as a coach, you got to convince yourself of that. The guys that get it are the guys that are about standards and process. The guys that don't 
are the ones that confuse the absolute heck out of their teams because they'll tell everybody we're about failing forward. But the moment the scoreboard comes on, they present a totally different image. Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. And now not only got a kid who's afraid of failure, they're not even they're not even sure who you are anymore. I think as teachers, we take a front, we embrace process, we let results take care of themselves. That's a done deal. That'll take care of itself. Scoreboard will always take care of itself as long as we take care of each other. Uh, and I believe that. And it's a peace of mind. Coach, in terms of parents, you know, the easy topic. Yeah. What, what have you seen that parents have changed? And I love it when you tell your, your anecdotes when it comes to this, your stories. But what have you noticed? Because back in the day, right? Back in the day, it was 2006. It wasn't 1985. It was 2006. You know, Facebook came out, right? Like, um, what have you noticed about parents that have changed? You know, a parent helped me figure this out. You know, it's, I've got an unfair advantage. I had a parent that, that gave me the answer to your question. He came in and, and asked me about the recruitment of his daughter. I said, well, recruiting is really kind of messed up right now. COVID has messed it up. The additional year given to those athletes messed it up. Transfer portal at the next level is kind of messing it up recruiting-wise. And he said, I'm really concerned about recruiting. I said, well, it'll take care of itself. We'll figure this out. He said, well, you don't understand. I'm kind of her PR agent. I said, what? He said, well, I'm, I, I, I've got, I'm kind of her PR man. I said, no, you're kind of her father. Hey, your job isn't to promote her. Your job is to love her. And if you love her enough, she may promote herself. I, I just think that as a society, these guys, you, you reference Facebook. Everybody believes that their child is the billboard or the poster child for their family. And because you have the biggest house doesn't mean you have the best home. Because your your daughter is the best athlete doesn't mean you're the best dad. You know, there, there's no equation. Uh, success doesn't equal love and love doesn't equal success. They're separate entities. But if they're done right, both can occur. But I think that they, to answer that question, I think that so many people right now feel like they have to be this massive advocate, more than just an advocate. I believe in protecting your child. But you can't protect your child to the point where you shield them from success. You know, give them the Kevlar necessary. Allow them to feel bulletproof, but you can't jump in the way of bullets. Because if you do your job right, the bullets will will ricochet because the Kevlar you developed as a parent. We have got a, a, a group of people right now that really feel like they're there to be campaign managers, PR directors. And the sheer fact that a father would say that is, is very unnerving to me. I think it's, it's unfortunate because as a father, and you're a father, as a father, I don't want to be known as my child's PR man. I just want to be known as a father and a man who loves him dearly. And a man that understands that my job is to provide every opportunity to be successful, but I can't guarantee success. And I shouldn't jeopardize my family by trying to be that guy. You, you referenced dropping your son off at the, uh, the golf course. That's what you're supposed to do, Rob. You're providing him a chance to be successful. You don't need to go out there and swing the club for him. That's, that's, that defeats the purpose. And, and I think parents have evolved. They've lost 
it's a misapplication of love. They, they believe that it's showing great love by being their, the promotions manager. No, let them promote themselves. It's their time. And I, I think that this is a subject that we could talk about for months. Uh, and it's, it's sad. I don't know if I see it getting better. But I do. What my part is, uh, when people, it happens to me, I make it clear, much like this. You're, no, sir, you're not a PR director. You're a father. You're a father. And, uh, but I think that would be my, my take on it, whether yeah. I get back to your Facebook, whether I get a lot of likes or dislikes, that's, or you can unfriend me for that comment, but I, I believe that's, that's it. Yeah. You know, with, um, can, on, on that note, can you share that little story about, you know, the daughter and parent and they go in and they talk with the coach and coaches feedback for them all, you know, the one I'm talking about. Which one? I'm, I'm well, the one, the one where they say, you know, and I was watching you play, and and the and the daughters. Oh, yes, I, I love that one. Well, it, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Uh, so the story, basically, I'll leave out the universities and whatnot. But uh, young lady goes to a major university, major volleyball program, and sets with the head coach, and uh, they're getting to the brass tacks. They're getting down to let's offer scholarships. And uh, mom sat next to the daughter and they asked for the coach's feedback. Coach looks, he said, you know, there's a lot of things about you athletically that I love. He said, but I'd like to give you my, my list of things that really kind of are red flags. She said, okay. Mom goes, yeah, we need to know these. He said, all right. He said, well, one, I, I noticed that anytime uh, a teammate makes a mistake, your body language is, is, is really kind of ugly. You get really frustrated with your teammates. And the mother looked and she said, I told you. I told you they look at body language. I, I've told her this, Coach. He said, all right. He said, I've noticed that when the coach gets on you, that the, the look on your face is, is ugly. And uh, you, don't, you walk away before he's finished communicating. You just walk away. And the kid kind of looked at him and shook her head. No words. The mom looked and said, Coach, you wouldn't believe how many times I've had this conversation. He said, yeah. And he looked at her and said, and lastly, when you get taken out of the game, I watched how you separated from everybody. Separated from everybody. You just went to the end and walked by, didn't slap anybody's hands, walked past everybody and said, said at the end of the bench, just uh, sent a strong message. And the mom said, you know what? These are all things I told her. I told her that coaches, college coaches in, in particular, are watching their eagle eye and body language. And I, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know what to tell a coach because I've had these conversations. And, you know, I think she can fix them uh, because you've now pointed them out. He said, no, I don't think she can. She, the mom said, what? He said, well, because oddly, whenever a teammate makes a mistake on the court, I watched your daughter for the first couple of weeks, but since then I've watched you. And when your daughter is on the court and a teammate makes a mistake, I've watched your body language where you've just maligned that individual. And the little girl kind of looked at her mom. He goes, and furthermore, I've, I've watched when the coach gets on your daughter, I've watched you shake your head and immediately look at somebody next to you and badmouth the coach. He said, and lastly, 
I watched you as your daughter was taken out of the game. I watched you not go to the end of the bench. I watched you leave the building. He said, I don't think there's a chance that this is going to be fixed. And, you know, you look at it and you're going, it's a true story, but it's an insanely sad story. But more importantly, it's a prevalent story. It's happening more and more and more. You know, and everybody has to understand, you know, that the scope of uh, a magnification or the scope of a vision isn't limited. You know, it's not limited to the athlete only when, you know, in a recruiting process, people recruit families. You know, the best teams I've ever had were with the best families I've ever had. You know, when you, you find these insanely good parents that uh, back you, it's incredible. I talked to a high school basketball coach last year, a guy I really respect. And I asked him, I said, how's your team going to be coach? He looked at me and said, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him yet. I said, what? He said, I don't know if I can trust him yet. He said, uh, I haven't met the families. I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, everything goes out the window if what I say in the gym isn't backed up at home. Right. He said, I'm just not sure I can trust him yet. He said, ask me in a month or so, I'll let you know. And I thought it was an eloquent answer. And there's a lot of truth to it. You know, trust, you know, my group of the last couple, you know, one of the things I really enjoy is great trust. Because they do know how much I care. You know, there's a little to the adage, uh, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's a lot to that. It's old school, but it's still true. And it rings true every day. But the bottom line is trust is such a huge element. And, and that story explained that, you know, even if we can get the girl to the level where she stops doing it, she's still drinking poison on a daily if you're going to act this way as well. Mm-hmm. Trust is a big deal. And you got to get them all. You got to get the whole family. And, and that's, that's, that number is reducing, sadly. And we've got to do something about that. I'm not yeah. one of those guys, Robs, that throws in the towel and says, well, society's gone. No. I think, uh, you know, I can either sit back and gripe about it or I can start doing something about it. And I try daily to do it. I, if I see it, I, I express it. I no longer am that guy that sees it and goes in a dark room where no one's going to get anything out of it and bitches to somebody. Yeah. No. Coach, I saw a stat the other day, and this one kind of shocked me, but track and field at the high school times, 80% of people that set their high school PRs did not get any better in college. And I asked college coaches this, you know, in terms of like tennis or golf or baseball. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, when players get to college, because there's a lot to it, right? It's like, hey, that was the goal to reach there. And now it's, you know, foot on the gas or, you know, life kind of takes in there. Do you see players mostly get better, stay the same, or do they get worse? You're in my wheelhouse. Anybody listening to this is going to think this was uh, was uh, prompted or we talked about it prior. Yeah, Here's my biggest beef with that. In the old days, and that's me dating myself, the game was the god. The scholarship was the guide, meaning, meaning you fell in love with the game. You just love the game. And then out of nowhere, you look and go, my God, do you believe this? If I'm really, really good, someone's going to give me money. And I get to do what I love and get paid to do it. Reverse it. Rewind it. Today, the game is simply a guide. The scholarship is the God. So I'm in a business where I've had kids get scholarship 
get scholarships offered, but been pretty, right. they've been given out at 14 years old. You know, and I've got kids that the kids that were on campus during the recruiting visit may well have children by the time these guys get to college. And so the quandary is, you know, what? why do these kids keep moving? Now they got their scholarship and they just shut the motors down. It is happening at record rates because we've, we've flipped what the focus of the sphere of influence is. The sphere of influence is no more loving the game. And I've got thoughts that maybe we play too much. Maybe we play too much, but the love of the game is really diminished and the scholarship is our, is our God now. And I think that you'll see that, you know, in a sport like track and field, uh, you know, track and field where guys will spend 10,000 hours to carve a tenth of a second. You know, that's hard, Rob. That's hard work. And a lot of times when you're grinding that hard work, you're, the reason that the guys in high school continue to grind, to continue to nail down PRs. And, and my son is, is a really good 110 hurdle guy. So I've seen it. But they will grind because the proverbial apple is still out there. But once they got the apple in hand, what promotes the grind? Love is the critical issue. Love. If you love, then you'll always grind. But if you if you love the scholarship, once the scholarship's in hand, then you take it for granted. Then the improvement's going to cease. We've got to go back to love, and you know I don't know if it's uh, if it's society, if it's we play too much. You know, somebody was asking me the other day that if you could play any sport again, I was blessed. I had a good opportunity. You know, the sport I play is football. Football is a great reward sport because you train all week long. You play once. And even a long season, a long season for football, high school, 14 games. That means you get to the state championships, basically. Baseball, <laughs> you know, after a season starts, uh, baseball is the greatest thing in the world. All, all you do is play. You get, you get fed up when you play, have to practice. You get to play every day. You know, I say the same thing is true with me in watching baseball. Now, I don't really watch baseball anymore. You know when I was a big baseball guy? When Twib Notes ran wild. When Joe Garajola would step on the screen and you would get to see the one game a week that was televised. Yeah. A week. Now, if I wanted to, I could watch 12 games a night. It's not important to me anymore. I think that's part of it as well. I think we we play too much. They get too many things. But I really believe down the root is we've lost emphasis. We've lost focus on love. We don't love the games anymore. You know, maybe we coach it too much. Maybe we don't let them investigate and, and experiment on their own. There's, you know, how many empty baskets do you see in the state of Indiana now? How many basketball goals in, in houses do you see anymore? That number is diminished. How many parks are full? Full of kids playing every day in the park in the summer. Drive by an empty basket every day. Drive by a basketball goal without a rim. Much less no one's shooting. We just don't do it anymore. You know, and they don't love the game anymore. They're just chasing the scholarship. And once you got it in hand, it's, like, it's why so many relations, it's why the divorce rate's so high. You know, you get it, you got it, you stop loving it. That's too bad. But I think that answers that question. I really do. And I don't know what the answer is. I, you know, some of the best football you'll see is is like the the 2A and the small football, the, the, the small scale football in, in college. 
Uh, I love watching minor league baseball. I love it because the cats are selling out because they haven't got their, their thirst quenched yet. And nothing's more prevalent than a guy that's an absolute beast in the minor leagues that gets to the majors and just gets content. A lot of one-year wonders. Mm-hmm. Coach, again, I mean, I, I think we could have a three-hour podcast because I love talking with you. That's just such a great answer. But I do have one more question. Yeah. And that is, um, what question should I be asking that I'm not asking? What is it that you want to share that's on your heart? You know, I think the thing that uh, I appreciate most about you and, and when I listen to your podcast, uh, I love the fact that you're a lifetime learner. I think that the question that uh, really probably needs to be presented is, you know, why why a lifetime learner? What drives a lifetime learner? Uh, you know, I've had the privilege, and I'm a blessed man, and I and I know it. Uh, Don Shondell, who was a coach at Ball State for the longest time volleyball, and one of probably the three greatest coaches in the world, my greatest impact, uh, bar none. The greatest moments I've shared with Coach Shondell is I'll run a coach's clinic, and a clinic that you spoke at eloquently a couple of times, and Coach Shondell will be in the front row at 90-plus years old taking notes. A 25-year-old coach that just won a state championship will be in the front row talking to someone. Coach Shondell will oftentimes look at me after I get done presenting and tell me how beautiful what I said was and how insightful I was. And I'm one of the great minds. And, you know, I I, I wish I had uh, the, the, the ability to look him in the eye and say, Coach, and I have before, I guess said everything I just said was regurgitated. It was what you gave me. I, I think the gift of lifetime learners, I think the question that I would ask is that, that what's the difference between the great ones and the good ones? Uh, the good ones are learners. The, the great ones are lifetime learners. I, I really believe that. They, they're unquenchable. You know, I, I just got off the treadmill and I listened to a great TED Talk that is worth listening to. It's Hugh McCutcheon. And it's a, a, a TED talk he just did, and he was a good friend. But it was on coaching. It was on embracing the teaching element of coaching. It was embracing process. You know, if you've listened at all for the hour, if you're out, I mean, I get process, but I want to get process better. You know, I'm not satisfied where I want to be the best coach in the country, Rob. And the only way I can do that is to educate myself. Yeah, you know, we don't just set it because it's, we're not fine wine. You know, we don't grow by just sitting here. We don't we don't get to become this wine of great bouquet by just sitting here like wine does. We've got to be active participants in our own rescue. And so, you know, the thing that I would ask is what drives me in my drive is I want to learn. I want to learn. Uh, I truly do believe that. And my dad really gave me so many great lessons. I was a blessed man. You know, and I didn't get to choosing, but boy, I would, I would. And, you know, I looked at it and, one of the, and that was one of the great lessons he taught me is to never be satisfied. You know, Rob, one night, my dad, it was about 1130 at night. I was 11 years old and it was, uh, it was a big, it was a big thing to me. He came into my room, woke me up and he said, Michael, 
And I kind of groggily looked at him. I said, yeah, dad. He said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I thought, you know, this is probably an inopportune time to have this conversation. But I said, but dad, uh, I said, I think I want to be a priest. He said, really? Shook his head and he walked away. He said, well, good night, Michael. And as he walked out of the room, he goes, he kind of looked back at me. He said, Michael, I said, what? And he goes, that's dumb. And I looked, I said, geez, you woke me up to hear my dream and then told me it was dumb. I said, why is that dumb, Dad? He said, why wouldn't you want to be the Pope? And that is kind of what spurred my lifetime learning. You know, being a priest is good, but being a Pope, man, that's great. You know, I think what I do is good, but the only way I can become great is I want to become more of a learner. I've got to become, and I've had some great mentors and and great role models in that. And Coach Shondell's one, you're one. You know, we opened up just talking briefly between the two of us and and you took three notes right off the bat. And and I was taking notes on you. (laughs) And, And I think lifetime learning. I think the separator between good and great, that would be my question. And I think the separator between good and great Good learns, great never ceases to. And I think that you got to have an un, just a, an undying thirst for knowledge. That's it. Amare Fonte, right? Amare Fonte. That's it, man. Coach, yeah. we got the title of our podcast. Um, I'm going to put the links on there, man. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing. Oh, I really appreciate it. it means, you know, I've watched the people that you've had on here uh, with great envy. Uh, there, you've had some beautiful people in it, and you cross so many sections. That's what I like about you. But uh, an honor, and I mean that, Rob. I, you know, you are a good friend, and you're you're a beautiful man. But uh, I will tell you that uh, deep down inside, I've always wanted to be on here, just so I could be linked with some of those other specialists. So the the, the opportunity was mine. The honor is definitely mine. But keep doing what you do, and keep chasing great, buddy. Thanks, Coach. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.